Let's pray. Father, tonight, Lord, be glorified. Lord, grow us deeper. Make us more like Jesus. Let us shine brightly as your son did, the light of the world. Help us, Lord, as also, Lord, to mirror him, to be as that silver. Take out the draw in us, Lord God, the impurities. Let us reflect your glorious son. Take on your nature in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. What is your favorite me time? Think about it. What's your favorite me time? Just where you're alone. For some ladies, it might be that bubble bath. And for guys, it might be out in the deer stand. Uh, You know, for me, as an only child growing up without all the chaos, you know, like I'm I'm not a crowd person. You know, like I I hate them all at Christmas time. It just uh, you're in my bubble. I need my bubble. I need an escape route. Anybody like me? I need my bubble. I need to know how to get out of this room if there's a stampede. That's what I'm thinking that. And so, you know, for me, it, I, me time, you know, sitting on the couch, doing nothing. Or you're sitting on the front porch, you got your sweet tea, the birds are chirping. You know what I'm talking about? Me time? Y'all ever get me time? A few of us do, right? Uh, especially those with, with little kids, right? But, you know, I'm an only child, introspective, introverted person. I prefer to be alone in front of a couch, uh, on a couch in front of my TV, maybe on a beach somewhere, sitting on my front porch. And I like me time. Anybody like me time? All right, we all like me time. Good, a good book, whatever, coffee. Uh, but, you know, as I grew in ministry uh, and started discipleship early on before I was ever called to preach, I was trained really, really strongly in discipleship through our campus ministry. And they brought me under, my, under their wing and began to teach me and train me and, uh, just as a small group leader. And through this ministry and all this training and the pastors bringing me under their wing, I learned the value uh, and the enjoyment of being around others. As an only individualistic, introspective person, I really began to learn the value of being around other Christians and being a part of a group. I mean, I tell you, I was almost agoraphobic. I hated to get on a bus. Like for school, man, I hated getting on a bus. And in crowds, if we were having this big a social gathering in, in high school or college. I didn't go to school dances. I didn't do none of that stuff because I didn't like being around people. Not to mention I was a nerd. Okay, I'm fine with it. I know who I am. I'm proud of it now. You know, back then I was really, you know, a shy and offended. That, you know, I never got picked for any baseball teams or anything like that. But, but now I'm okay with it. But I learned, even despite all of that, I began this awkward, shy person who liked to sit in the back of the room, I began to learn the value of being around other people uh, in the family of God. And uh, maybe you're a social butterfly of a person, and that's okay. We're going to talk about that a little bit. But really, as I begin to think about Jesus Christ, He's this light of the world uh, coming into glo- uh, from glory into us, un- uh, came down, died for us. And what does He do? He creates His church. And he says that you now are going to be the light of the world. You're going to be a city on the hill. You're going to reveal to the world the truth of God's love in Christ. And this light is supposed to shine in all that we do, all that we say, and how we act. For instance, as a person of light, even despite my shyness and awkwardness, I'm supposed to be a person that people maybe like to be around. I mean, maybe you've met those people that you just... Don't care to be around them. There's some in every avenue of life, right? You just don't care to be around them. But as a Christian, uh, to other Christians, and even to those who are hungry and thirsty uh, and poor in spirit, those who are longing for a spiritual change, longing for something, 
As a believer, we should be those that exude the nature of Christ. How many know that sinners were just drawn to Jesus? Multitudes were drawn to him, not just because of his power, uh, his teaching, but I believe he just had a presence of God that people just wanted to sit there, like Mary and Martha. They just are Mary specific, uh, specific. He just wanted to be at his feet, right? And so there's this presence of peace and comfort and joy and love that should be coming out of us as we press in to be more like Jesus Christ. Uh, But one author says it this way. He says, but yet so many Christians have been infected with the most uh, virulent virus of modern American life. You know what it is? Radical individualism. He says they concentrate on their personal obedience to Christ as if that's all that matters. It's Jesus in me or Jesus in mine. But uh, But in so doing, miss the point Because Christianity is not a solitary belief system. We are meant to experience Christ in community. Paul says in Ephesians, let us be rooted and grounded in love, that together with all the saints, you can know the height, the depth, the width, the length of his love. It didn't say that you could understand it. It says that together with all of the saints. Why? I need Miss Georgia in, our, in my life, Miss Evelyn in my life. I need John Smith in my life so that I can better understand the love of God. That's what the Bible says. Uh, and so we are supposed to be the people of God. We're supposed to be a community of faith, uh, a temple. A temple is not made of one brick. In a temple, it takes a bunch of bricks to be the temple of God. Or uh, Paul would say the body of Christ. We don't just say an arm and a hand uh, or a leg. It's all of it together make one complete Christ who manifests Jesus to the world. So Romans chapter 12, that's where we are tonight, talking about being the people of light uh, and getting away from self-centeredness to be the people he's called us to be. In Romans chapter 12, Paul really lays down what the attitude and the temperament and the personality of the family of God, the people of God, should be like. I love Romans 12, but we're going to look at verses 9 through 16 tonight. Romans chapter 12, verse 9. It says, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. That's what we're talking about tonight. Hold that right there. Not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind towards one another. And do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. And do not be wise in your own estimation. Wouldn't that be a wonderful group of people to be a part of? I've never met them yet, but I want to get there, right? Uh, he, he's, man, a people who are loving without hypocrisy. They hate evil. They love good. They're fervent. They're serving the Lord. They rejoice. They persevere. They're devoted. They contribute to one another. Their hospitality is in this place. Man, they're blessing and, and, and not cursing, and they're rejoicing, and even weeping when somebody weeps. Totally united, not haughty in mind, all about the lowly, and they don't think so much of themselves. Man, that is... Man, right there, we can just stay right there all night, and that's really what we're going to do. Uh, so here's the question. Do other Christians like being around you? And do you like being around other Christians? Now, I know you're here tonight in a prayer meeting, a prayer service on Sunday nights, 
Uh, but the, this, I want this attitude to permeate through our whole community, our whole church, our, our, all of us uh, as a family. Do, do other people like being around you, and do you like being around other people? Uh, you know, self-centeredness is, is a natural part of human life. I love me time. I, if I don't have my me time as an only child, I don't know how to function. My wife is from a family of, she had a brother and a sister, and, you know, we've been together for decades now, and, and we've had those talks where I am an individualistic person. I like alone time. I don't like noise. You know, I, my ears start ringing when I hear all this stuff going on. I, I just have to sometimes get out of the house and get away. Like, I just have to have that. Uh, and it's not bad to have alone time. It's not bad uh, to get away from other people. Jesus went along to pray. He got away and alone with God. But if you know what I'm talking about, sometimes you just want to put on sweatpants or on the TV and do nothing. Can I get an amen? amen? Okay, see, we're all human, right? We just want to get alone. And that's fine in measure, Right? Because here's what happens. It's so easy if we begin to see Christianity as an individualistic relationship with God that we become self-centered, all right? Or even if it's just about me and my family coming to church, and that's why I come to church, just for me and my family to get what we need from Jesus, it can also become self-centered. Because think about this. Self-centeredness defined means this. It means to be preoccupied with oneself and with one's affairs. It means to be self-absorbed, self-serving, self-seeking, or really fixed on yourself uh, or your issues, your family's issues even, and not on others. And one author or commentator would say this way. He says, sometimes this even will result. That might just be the beginning. Hey, I just need to be us for a little while, and that's cool. But he says, if you're not careful, it can go to complacency. It can move into conceitedness pridefulness, self-glorifying. You can meet some opinionated Christians every now and then because it's all about what they're thinking about, what they're doing in their life. Or you can become overconfident because you're never around other people. You're not uh, investing in other people's lives, so you're pretty cocky in yourself. And that can lead to dissension. So all of it kind of can come out of here. Even Paul in Galatians 5, when he talks about the, the fruit of the flesh and the sin nature, he says, one of the fruits of the flesh is selfish ambition. A person who is driving to build themselves up, uh, striving to focus on themselves. He says, with that, it comes hostility, quarreling, jealousy, dissension, division, and envy. In a sense, when a church becomes self-absorbed, meaning it's about me and my relationship with God. We can be Christians now. I'm wanting to talk about Jesus. I want to come to church for Jesus and glory to God. But as I begin to try to experience Christianity just to be about me and mine, what happens is the church begins to break apart. We begin to focus on my needs, my wants, my, my, my activities, my things. I'm coming to this event or this meeting for me and my family. And, and those are all, again, at a, at a certain point as a young Christian, that's okay. But we're talking about moving on to maturity tonight. And Paul says if we're not careful... This self-centered attitude can lead to jealousy, dissension, division, envy, and a sense begin to root out the things in the church that God has ordained. So while the flesh is all about itself and the world's all about itself, Jesus says what? Love your neighbor as yourself, right? Not instead of being about yourself, take all of that energy that you normally and naturally would want to focus on yourself and begin to what? Focus it on somebody else. And... uh, 
James said, if you would look into a church, in James 3.16, he says, if you would find self-centeredness, he says, you'll find disorder of every kind and evil of every kind when you find a place or a people who are self-centered because it begins to root other things. Other things begin to root out of it. And so uh, I would say a religious Christian, after a religious Christian, a self-centered Christian is the worst kind. They can be involved but not interested in their community or the body of Christ. It could be that we talk, we kind of joke around about the get out of hell free card. You know, I'm, I don't want to go, I'm just trying to get saved. I don't want to go to hell. But it's kind of like a contract marriage. It becomes where I sign the I do's, uh, but I'm not interested in serving my spouse. I, I have a legal marriage. We are legally married. She has to put up with me till death do us part. Uh, but I'm not really interested in anything beyond that. We're just existing as a married couple. And yes, you're married. And there are Christians who are the same way. Yes, I'm a Christian. I'm not going to hell. I believe Jesus is Lord. He signed the new covenant uh, in his blood for my name. And yes, my name is on the Lamb's book of life. But that's as far as my relationship with him goes, because really it's all about me and my needs, Jesus, me and my wants, give, make my supper, Jesus, you know, is my clothes iron, Jesus, where do I want to go eat today, Jesus, and it becomes that type of marriage relationship instead of, hey, honey, what do you want to do, what do you want to go eat, where do you want to go on vacation, what are the things you like, and I, uh, one time, my, probably my number one, and they may listen to this online, so I'm not going to say any names, but probably my number one in, in 10 plus years of full-time ministry, I have a number one self-centered example. All right, now maybe I've shared this before, but uh, when I, we were planting a young adult ministry uh, in Columbia, Missouri, so uh, young adults meaning 18 to 35-year-olds, right? And this young person uh, was getting back into God, and so we were having an event, and Beth maybe remember this. But uh, there was very few of us, man, we were just an older church, we were trying to get young people into it, and so we had a young couple come, we had announced it, announced it all, we only had one young couple come, we were going to have a movie and pizza night, so we ordered some pizza, put a movie on, and uh, I'm calling people, you know, trying to get people to come and, and start from scratch, from nothing, uh, this ministry, and so one couple come, it's just me and Beth and this couple trying to watch Chronicles of Narnia or something like that, right, it had just come out, that shows you how old that was, right, and uh, and so this young adult, this young man, calls me and says, hey, I want to come. He called me that morning. Hey, I want to come. I'll come. I'll be there. But I don't have a ride. Can you come get me? But I don't get off until such and such time. I said, well, and I really want to get people involved. So it was like 30 minutes after the event start. So I said, okay, sure. Uh, we're starting from scratch. Yeah, I will leave, and I'll come get you and bring you back. Okay, great. So we start the movie. The pizza's going. That couple's there. And I say, Beth, all right, hey, just hold a second. I'm going to go run and get this guy. It's about a 10-minute drive across the city and a 10-minute drive back. But I'm going to hurry and fast as I can. I go pick up this young guy. I pick him up. He's late getting to my car. I'm thinking, i got to get this. Beth's alone with this young couple, and, you know, there's nobody there. He gets in my car. He's like, man, I've really had a bad day. Man, it's just been a really bad day. And I said, oh, well, it's okay, man. we got pizza and a movie. It's going to be great. He's like, man... I just hate to do this to you. Can you just take me home? My jaw hit the floor. I about just said, why don't you just get out of the car? But I was loving Jesus at the moment. And uh, I really was so shocked that he would ask me that I had just left this church meeting to come get him, to bring him to it. I had to drive him 15 minutes the opposite direction across town. I took that boy home. Uh, let me just say, Heath was not thinking very Jesus-like thoughts after that. But 
Lord loves him. He became a, a core member in our church, and uh, I love him, and he's doing well today. But he grew up, you know. But that was self-centered to me. I'm thinking, you didn't have a clue what I had to go through to get you here, trying to get you to do this. And how many people deal with self-centered people all the time, right? We know. It's just part of human nature. You don't think about anybody else but yourself. And so I became a free taxi, you know. That's how it works sometimes. But let's look at this in Romans 12, because I'm going to break this out real quick, because I want us to have time just to pray for a second. He says, Give preference in brotherly love. So the first part, he says brotherly love. Paul begins this section saying Christian love is like a family. It's brotherly. It's sisterly. It's more than this principle or idea. It's this deep family connection, this deep family affection that should exist in every church. And I'm glad that we have that here at Sanctuary. Somebody say amen. Amen. We are a family. And in, in the world should, Jesus says, the world should take note of this kind of family love. We're not related by blood. I haven't known y'all very long, but I feel like I've known you forever, right? And I feel like we're close and we're tight. And that's part of being a spiritual family of God. People come in here from all walks of life, all backgrounds, and just sense the love that, man, I'm accepted. I belong. This is my family. And like a family, we should deeply know one another. And guess what? It takes time to get to know people. It takes conversations to get to know where Miss Georgia is from and where she was born and where she was raised and what job she did. And, you know, her parents helped plant a Nazarene church. There's things that I've had to get the time and invest a conversation to get to know somebody. And that comes as a family. It also comes through times where we may get on each other's nerves. You know, there are cousins and aunts and uncles you may have that have gotten on your nerves every Christmas. But guess what? You're stuck with them for life. They're your family. And guess what? Somehow or another, you seem to love them anyway. You know how that works? Because you have no choice. Let me tell you something. You have no choice but to do the same in the family of God. And there are so many church hoppers in the world, and especially in America today, where I get offended and I leave. But a true family grows stronger as we overcome our difficulties and differences. And we say, you know what? Yeah, you irritate the fire out of me, but I love you anyway. And we're going to press through it because we're family. That's what the church is all about. And the world needs to see more that as we see more and more division, more and more separation, more and more church splits. In this last day's church, we've got to see people who say, I'm sticking with the family of God no matter what. Amen. Amen. All right. Peter says, show deep love for one another. Why? Because love covers a multitude of sins. You will be offended in church. I guarantee it. Love them anyway. Get over it. Move on. Devote yourselves in brotherly love. And then he says, give preference. So it begins with the brotherly love. Now he says, give preference. That's the second part. Starts with brotherly love. He moves on to give preference. What does that mean? This This right here has been on my mind for weeks. Give preference to one another in honor. What does this mean? You know, as a parent, you're devoted to your children, uh, and you normally give preference to them. You know, where do you want to go eat? Well, she wants chicken nuggets. Okay, I can tell you where Ari's going to want to go eat at any time, any day or place. It's going to be McDonald's, right? And that's where, you know, sometimes you give your kids preference over what you would really prefer. Maybe it's as a spouse too. Honey, where do you want to go eat? What do you want to do? And, you know, and so, so on and so on. Maybe that's some pointers you need to have in your, your life, okay? But uh, where do we eat? What movie do we pick? And blah, 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 blah. We give preference and honor to that person. It means you honor a person above yourself. It means to treat someone better than yourself, to favor them, show recognition, appreciation, to give them priority. Why? Why do we do that in the body of Christ? Because 
just like I have Christ living in me, you have Christ living in you. And so even if we don't always get along or whatever, I know that you are special because God lives in you. And so I should, whatever I think about you, but because I know Chris Coleman has Christ living in him, I'm giving Jesus preference when I begin to show honor to Chris, when I begin to value his opinion, when I begin to uh, give recognition to him. And Philippians 2.3 says, Don't do anything from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourself. Let me tell you, you cannot do that in the natural That has got to be a work of the Holy Spirit in you because it is not natural to think more highly of someone else than yourself. Why is it that two people can come to an argument and both people think they're right? Because naturally, we all assume we're right. It wouldn't be my opinion if I didn't think I was right, right? You have to have an opinion, so therefore you have to think you're right. We all, man, if you had an argument with someone who had never thought they're right, that would be the perfect relationship. No, not really. I mean, uh, you know... I mean, that would be almost like a mental disorder, wouldn't you? Just, I'm just, okay, you're always right. And we, we normally do counseling with people like that. You've got to have some self-esteem, we'd say today. But when it comes to the church, Paul would say, hey, give honor, give preference to somebody else. You know, and, uh, when I was going through discipleship training as a small group leader uh, on a university campus, uh, we were trained how to do church events and ministries. And it was simply like this. At the time, I was dating Beth. And we'd been dating for many years then. And uh, when we would come into a service like this, you know, the rule was I could not sit with my girlfriend, whom I had dated before college. There was a rule. And I could not sit with my friends. That was a rule for our ministry as well. So what I would have to do is stand at the back door, greet the new people, engage them in conversation. Now, I'm a shy, backwards, quiet kid now. They made me engage in conversation, develop a new relationship on the spot, and sit with that person in the church service. Then afterwards, invite them to go eat with me at one of our local restaurants where we would all go together to eat out. That was an every week thing for four years of my discipleship training. Every week, that event was not about me. That church service was not about me. That, that uh, taco giveaway, whatever it was, if they saw us talking to the members of the leadership and for an extended period of time, they'd say, hey, 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 new people right over there. Y'all break it up. Go over there. I'm, I'm not joking. Why? Because we were to give preference to the new people. We were to give preference to those. If you saw someone sitting over there not having anybody to talk to, that person became the most important person in the room. It should be the same way in every church of America. There are so many cliques and so many splits and so many schisms because everyone is self-centered. But when you come into a church, it is immediately not about you anymore. It's everybody else is the most important person in the church. That's how it goes. That's what the Bible says. So when we come into church, we even have a little game, as I do, at least as a staff person, as pastor. My goal is hopefully to shake hands with every single person in the building before I leave that day. You know, and we, I mean, you know, oh man, I miss so-and-so, I miss so-and-so. But how are we giving preference to others in the body of Christ? Do I see Christ in them and say they are the most important person? Even our worship team has a thing. Sometimes Miss Stacy will say that today could be somebody's Sunday. Today might be the day that you bring your aunt, uncles, brothers, cousins, sisters, nephew to church who y'all been praying for forever. And today they need to encounter God and they need to know that, hey, today is a day that my church needs to be on game. They need to be on point. 
And they can't meet any self-centered Christians who are all about me. But man, when that person who I've been praying for and I bring them finally after 10 years got them here, hey, we as a church, man, we need to be giving preference to that person. Say, man, we're so glad you're here. And I know as a church we do this. This is an exhortation. So he says, start with brotherly love, and then it moves to giving preference, and then it moves into hospitality, and this takes it a step further. He says, from giving preference comes hospitality, and in the early church, you would have traveling ministers, and they would stay with residents of the people because they didn't have hotels back then, and so you would often open up your home to traveling Christians, even if it was a stranger passing through. If they became a Christian, man, it was a, it was a club. We're, we're together, you know, uh, we know you. We don't have a secret handshake or nothing like that. But, hey, you're a Christian. You're welcome to stay in my house because uh, that's how we are. we got to trust one another, build bridges together. And uh, the early church, man, they broke bread from house to house, Scripture says. They shared meals with gladness and sincerity of heart. Uh, one of the things that they required us to do, too, in discipleship was that I was responsible to take uh, my eight guys. I had eight guys who I was responsible for to connect them into ministry. They were in my small group. And every week, now we were on campus, uh, every week, and I had a job the whole time. I was either a student in school with a 24, I went to school full-time, had a 25-hour-a-week job, and did full-time ministry. Let me tell you, it's possible to do more than you think you can do. And I began to take eight young men out every week for coffee or meet them on their lunch hour or find them at their dorm room because I was connecting them. I was showing hospitality, uh, it was the, when, when I was uh, jumped on university campus as a young person in a, in a campus of 30,000 people, not having a clue from a small town, uh, rural Missouri, uh, not totally out of my element, shy, quiet. It was a pastor, uh, our pastor, who invited me out to Long John Silver's, which I hate, by the way. Uh, sorry if somebody's listening online that loves Long John Silver's. But uh, I don't like fake fish, you know. Uh, sorry, fish patties are not my thing. Uh, especially now that we're in Louisiana. Amen. Right? We don't need no fish patties. We got the real stuff. Uh, but he would take me out, and he would take me out to, to lunch, and he would buy my lunch. And I had never been bought lunch by a pastor. I grew up in church my whole life. But when a person from the church took me aside and said, Hey, can I take you to lunch? Can I take you to coffee? That sealed the deal with me in that ministry. And the same is true. Many people here today in our church, because someone took a leap of faith and said, hey, let's build a relationship together. Hospitality. Do I invite Christians over to my home? Do I take people out to lunch? Do I take people out to coffee? Or am I so busy with my own life and my own family that I neglect hospitality? Let me tell you, as a, in a southern community, while hospitality is a very big thing in the south, it is so easy still yet to miss those that don't have family, that don't have friends here, are not from this area, because we are so involved with our own life, we forget to notice other people. That's truth. Okay? And then he says, so it starts with brotherly love, which is the Spirit of God, and it goes to giving preference to one another in the family of God. Then it goes into hospitality and taking people outside of the church building and meeting with them outside of the church building, in my home, in the coffee shop. And then he says, then what happens? The fruit of all that becomes something. It says, you become a people with the same mind. That means I go from loving to preferring to fellowshipping into this deeper relationship because I begin to spend time with you. I develop the same mind with you. We're both saved. We're both spirit-filled. 
We now grow in this common bond despite our differences. We begin to weep together, rejoice together, care and share together. And that's really beginning to happen in our church through small groups where we begin to say, hey, we're a family together. I get to know your story. You get to know my story. I know what your faults are. I accept you through them. You know what my faults are. We confess our needs and and our things that we're going through together. And guess what? We become like-minded. The Spirit of God begins to bind us and root us and ground us in love. And Philippians 2, 2 says, Make my joy complete. Be the same mind of one another. Maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. I believe that when God sees a church begin to get outside themselves and say, Hey, I'm coming to this small group meeting, not just for me, but I want to pray with that person. I want to encourage them. I'm coming to pour into them. And guess what? You'll get a blessing out of that. God will begin to pour into you what you really need. I believe that. Amen? I believe the Holy Spirit begins to work. He says, wow, because they're loving other people selflessly, like Jesus did, God's going to say, hey, I'm going to take care of you. Don't worry about that thing you're going through. I'm going to begin to bless you because you begin to bless others. As you begin to pour out, Ms. Evelyn said this morning, we get all stagnant if we begin to hold it all into ourselves. But as you begin to selflessly pour out into others and their needs and their wants, hey, I thought about so-and-so today. It's like a Thursday, and I haven't had small group. But, man, they had that prayer request on Tuesday. Let me text them. Let me see how that went. That's the body of Christ. That's what it's all about. Let me tell you something. If you're not doing that, you're not doing your job as a Christian in this church. Uh Uh-oh. I said it. But that's what it's all about. Loving other people, preferring other people, giving preference and honor, and then we become the same mind. This is a sure cure for petty jealousies, strife, and competition. A church that has petty jealousies going on, strife, and competition is because they have not gone through the process of becoming the same mind through brotherly love, giving preference, and hospitality. A family that becomes together, they stay together for decades, they know what each other is thinking, it's that longevity and time, and all of this in the church is not birthed through the natural It's birthed through the new mind, that mind of Christ that we begin to put on, that renewing of the mind, the renewing of the Spirit, and the Holy Spirit begins to work in us as we begin to love one another. Somebody say amen. Amen. All right, I'm close with this. And why do we do this? We do this because Philippians tells us that Jesus Christ, although He existed in the form of God, He didn't regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but He began to empty Himself, took the form of a man, a slave, became like the likeness of men, and he died and humbled himself, obedient to the point of death on a cross, a cursed death even. I, we do this because Jesus first did it for us. It is a command to, not to, uh, is a command to love one another. It's not a choice. It's not uh, something we may or may not do. We are commanded to love one another as the church of Jesus Christ. We're commanded to show hospitality to one another. And so we do it, though, because Jesus did it for us. And how do we do it? Galatians 5.25, since we are living by the Spirit, let's follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our life. Let's stay in step with the Spirit. If we walk in the Spirit, let us live in the Spirit. All of this together, living and walking in step with the Spirit, is that I need Jesus to help me love other people. I, Heath Harris, cannot love other people. I, Heath Harris, cannot muster the strength when I want to sit down on my couch and do nothing and veg out and turn my mind off and escape from the world, I need the Holy Spirit to help me not be self-centered all the time because it's a natural default position to be self-centered. 
And only the Holy Spirit can help us begin to, I make the choice, God, I want to be more like Jesus. That's number one, make a choice. Number two, ask the Holy Spirit for help. Number three, get involved in a small group Bible study somewhere where I get to around other people who might rub me the wrong way, who might be sandpaper to my rough edges, and I get to be around them and invest my life into their life. And four, I find a way to serve them. I find a way to serve them. That's what it's all about. Holy Spirit, help me, but I've got to make the choice. Holy Spirit's not going to come over us and say, hey, guess what? You're having coffee today with so-and-so. No. He's going to put that person on my heart. Then I've got to take the step and call them and invite them and find a time. Let me tell you, there's a lot of people that's going to tell you no. That's okay. Find somebody else. Just keep going. Keep loving on people. Holy Spirit will grow in you, help you, bless you. And as all of this stuff begins to happen, God just begins to pour out His blessings on you. Why? Because you exude the light of God. And God is going to begin to make your ministry fruitful and blessing. And as you begin to seek first the kingdom and do what He wants you to do, everything else falls into place. I promise you. I promise you that's the Word of God. Amen. You got trouble in your life? Focus on somebody else. Amen. That's how it works. It's a spiritual kingdom. It's not the way we think it's going to work. You got problems in your life, start focusing on somebody else. God begins to meet your needs. Amen? Amen.